It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the top flight season. Obviously, the season is still a few weeks away, so not quite a full schedule, but with three shows a week until the 2021-22 campaign begins, why not hit subscribe to keep in the loop with all the latest Premier League news, views and opinions. We're approaching a week now since they finished, but the Euros are still fresh in everyone's minds, particularly those of an English persuasion. 19-year-old Bukayo Saka was tasked with keeping the three lines alive in the final shootout, but saw his spot kick saved, and he's spoken out on the horrific abuse he received after the game. But his overriding message love always wins. We'll look at the fallout there as well as the latest top flight transfer gossip on today's show. Could Mo end up in Madrid and could Abraham end up at Arsenal? Just two of the back page stories in the papers today. Plus we cast our eyes over some early title contenders. Who's best placed to taste Premier League glory 11 months from now? Welcome to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall McCorn and joining me for duty today we've got Marley Anderson. Morning Marley. Good morning, how are you? You alright? I'm very well. Well, I'm a bit tired. Um, I didn't get a good sleep in last night, so if I start snapping at anything you say, we're going to talk about Rafa Benitez later, so <laughs> I'm kind of... Uh, as long loose. as I don't insult someone like Brett Pittman or some, another hero <laughs> of yours. Absolute legend, mate. I'm not having any bad words said about Brett Pittman on this podcast. We've also got Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports. How's it going, Leon? It's going well, Niall. How are you? I'm good. Do you know much about Brett Pittman? I can't imagine you would do. <laughs> uh, not a lot, mate. Not a lot. No, no. Um, we know a lot more about Bukayo Saka than we do someone like Brett Pittman. Even more so since the European Championship final, which was only on Sunday, but it feels like an eternity ago already. So much has happened since then. 
especially this racist abuse that Saka, Sancho and Rashford have all faced. We've spoken about it this week on the podcast, that outpouring of emotion and support for Marcus Rashford on his mural in Manchester. Jaden Sancho has also released a social media statement thanking those people for his support and condemning the abuse he received. And now we've seen the same from Bakayo Saka, the last of the three who were abused to put anything on social media. He says he's taken a bit of time to take stock over the last few weeks and be with his family and almost emotionally recover from what was a difficult evening for him, not just on the football pitch, but the horrible abuse he received off of it, uh, we completely condemn here on Football Social Daily. It's absolutely disgusting and it needs to stop. But what he said, Leon, in his statement on social media, Bakayo Saka, is that he said he knew he would receive abuse as soon as that penalty was saved by Donnarumma in the Euro final. To me, that's a sad indictment of society, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, to already know when you're stepping up there, to try and keep your country in the Euros. And if you miss, you know you're going to get abuse. You're going to get slagged off. Um, I mean, the racial abuse that these players have to suffer is just... It's so heartbreaking. It's so wrong in every manner. And these people need to be held accountable who are doing this. And this is the huge problem we have now with society and through social media platforms individuals believe and they do because they can say what they want without any repercussions and this is a huge problem that we've had for quite some time now and absolutely jack all has been done about it nothing there is no deterrent there is no fear so when you don't have any rules and regulations around what you say on a social media platform you can hide your identity Something has to be done. Enough is enough. And for a young kid like him, 19 years of age, he's already got the weight of a nation on his shoulders, stepping up for that penalty. For him to then feel, A, as a professional and as by all accounts, what a lovely young man he is, he will have felt the pain and the heartbreak of missing that penalty. To then have to go through and suffer racial abuse or any type of abuse for missing a spot kick, it's just wrong. But I think there's a bigger issue here than let alone he felt he was going to get abuse. Why are these individuals still being allowed to hide behind a mask and put out derogatory stuff about people, about race, about anything that they want without anything being done? Something has to change. Absolutely agree. Concur completely with what you've said. And we've discussed already on the podcast this week about the Prime Minister. I think there were some interesting comments from Gary Neville, which we've already gone over on the podcast, so we won't go on them again. But the Prime Minister was speaking in the House of Commons yesterday about this incident, and he pledged to almost upgrade the football banning order, which is sort of a a punishment that football fans can receive in this country for bad behaviour at football matches. And he's pledged to ban racial abusers from football matches. Uh, They won't be allowed to attend games if they're found guilty and convicted of racially abusing footballers. Uh, Why didn't this happen years ago, is my question, Marley. I mean, we've seen this probably over the last two years now, more prominently than ever. Raheem Sterling was racially abused. We've seen numerous, countless instances of this. Why aren't the sanctions and punishments harsher? Why is it only taken for a 19-year-old kid 
to miss a penalty in a Euro final for people to really start sitting up and going, well, we need to do something more about this? Uh, the short answer is that I don't really know. Um, I would probably maybe point at it being harder to prove um, in the past, but there's not much excuse for it now when most of it happens on social media. So it's there in black and white for you to see, you know what I mean? So, you know, when there's... I mean, I think back to... You remember when uh, Sterling got racially abused at Chelsea when there was that guy, uh, he was going over to take a corner or something like that and the guy was, like, right in his face. And I think he got away with it. And it was like... I think we had, like, lack of proof. Even though he was, his, his image was beamed around the world, you know, and he's clearly being very, very aggressive in uh, in Sterling's face. And it was like... I think maybe that's why we've never seen it before, but I mean, until this sort of stuff happens, it's just words from, you know, uh, from a political figure that, that will chase votes. Um, this is the hot thing in the world at the minute, like in the country, there's no, there's no bigger sort of win for, for some, for a politician to get behind football tackling racism and try and do more about it. It's a, it's a, a, a vote winner for him, um, and if but to be fair, if if he does get behind it and sort it out, um, fair play, then that's something we all need. But has I mean I think he's just using this as a as a way to say you know I, well I know you know I can relate to you and stuff like that. But in reality, he, in the past he's called he's called people um, he's called Muslim women letterboxes and and all sorts all sorts of racial language himself so it's a bit hypocritical for him to then say you know oh, racism disgusts me and it, it isn't it shouldn't be part of the country we live in and all that it's like it's just a, a, throw, a throwaway thing it doesn't have any weight behind it until you actually do something about it um and he's you know saying oh, i'm gonna be giving the the power to you know to to give out life bans and what have you we'll we'll, we'll see how many get to actually given because i've got a feeling it won't be that many I said this earlier this week on the podcast, and although we primarily focus on the Premier League and the action on the pitch, it would be remiss of us not to talk about these issues because I think they are important to the game and society in general. And I just don't think we'd be doing Bukayo Saka, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford justice if we weren't going to talk about this and call it out. So just be aware if you are listening to the podcast, we're not going to be shy in trying to tackle these issues and talk about them because I think it's important that we do so. That being said, we've given plenty of time to Boris Johnson on the podcast over the last couple of shows and I don't think he deserves any more of it. So let's focus back on the young lad himself, Bukayo Saka, and his future, Leon. He's only 19. He was one of Arsenal's key players last season in what was a really disappointing campaign for Mikel Arteta at the Emirates. Do you think after what he's been through and the support he's received and how his England teammates have rallied around him and enjoyed his company, do you think he'll feel even more determined this season coming to really make a splash for Arsenal and show exactly what he's all about because he's got plenty of talent? Listen, I'm a huge fan of this kid. Um, I think I've said it in this podcast quite a number of times. He's a player I'd love at Liverpool. Um, he's got everything. He's got a right foot. He's got a left foot. He can play in an attack-minded position. He can play in a defensive position if you need him to. He's got the world at his feet. And a lot of the England players were very good around him after missing that penalty. It's going to make him stronger, is my belief. I think something like this... Um, you've got to kind of suffer a bit of heartache um, to try and learn what it feels like first. And I think he's going to have a big season. Do I believe he's going to stay with Arsenal for much longer? The answer is no. 
because I think he's going to get sought after by a much better club in a better position in terms of challenging for trophies. So I think Saka has got a huge career uh, right in front of him. And do you know what? The people who um, have tried to slag him off, they're not worth even listening to because they're not worth the time of day. And I think the people who gather around him, the people who will make sure that he's okay, his family, his close friends, his teammates, they'll make sure that this young kid, and that's all he is, he's 19 years of age, he's a young kid. I wouldn't have known what to be doing if I was asked to take a penalty to try and keep my country in a European Championship at 19. I mean, the I thoughts... couldn't even make it to my uni lectures when I was 19. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, the thoughts of it though, Niall, is just baffling. It's You know, it's such pressure. But that goes to show you the characteristic of this young man. He must have been willing to do this. So I think he's going to be fine. He'll have the right people behind him. And I think I really do feel we're going to be hearing a lot about this young man for the next decade or so. He's going to have a fantastic career. I've no doubt about that. Yeah, I agree. He's got some serious stones on him as well to take the fifth penalty to keep England alive in the shootout. At, as you say, at 19 years of, of, old, of age, that takes some real fortitude, I think. And it feels different this time. You know, in Euros and World Cups gone by when England have been knocked out on penalty shootouts, everyone's tried to angle for a scapegoat and lean on someone as if to say that's your fault or looking for someone to blame. I think it's, you know, an English mentality thing, particularly within the press, but it doesn't feel like that this time. You know, I, I've, I've completely forgiven the three lads who missed penalties. You know, they were terrible penalties. We can't get away from that in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of the game of football. But that doesn't define them as people and it won't define their careers, I'm sure of it. So I completely side with everything that Marley and Leon have said. And also, the nicest thing I thought was in Bukayo Saka's social media post, love always wins. I think that was his overriding message and he was very thankful for all the support he's received and hopefully long may that continue only 19 years of age an Arsenal regular one of their key players as we've discussed and it brings us on nicely to this next point because English playing time is at a new high in the Premier League 38% of the total minutes for last season 2020-21 in the Premier League were played by English players that's the highest stat for 11 years a record new high of under-21 players featuring in the Premier League as well, accounting for 6% of all minutes played last season. Obviously, Saka falls into that category. What can we discern from this, Marley? Do you think that the fact that we're seeing more English players actually getting game time in the Premier League has impacted England positively on the international stage? Uh, yeah, I think it has to. Um, at the end of the day, if you're, if you if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and I think with the the amount of money that's been put into academies over the years, you're starting to see the fruits of that labour. I think um, if you think back to sort of 2010, 2008, 2006, you you didn't really have um, too many sort of really promising players um, coming through. Like you had, you had, there's always hype over certain ones, but they were never at a level where they are now. I think if you think back to um, to the World Cup in Brazil. I remember when you know Theo Walcott got a call up as a 16-year-old, having never kicked a ball in the Premier League, just just off pure hype. And then now you think of like the guys that are getting in the squad, and it's like of a similar age where it's Bellingham who's played, uh, you know, 
50 odd games for Dortmund this season on the back of a 25 million pound move. There's Sancho, a couple of years older, who backed himself to to leave uh, Man City at at, uh, at 17 for for 10 million quid and went on to become one of the best wingers in the world and get a 75 million pound move to Man United. It's a new it's a new sort of um, level that, that 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 youth are getting to now. And you see people who who aren't in the team. Hudson Adoy has got a massive future ahead of him. Um, you've got you know players like Watkins and um, and all kinds. There's loads and loads of, of, of examples of it. Um, the under twenty ones have an incredible squad. Um, just happen to have a useless manager who can't knit them together, and hopefully that sorts itself <laughs> out soon. So, who even just... is the manager now? Have they even decided who that is? Is it is it still Buffon? Did he did he go? No, he's know. gone. Thankfully. Oh, fair play. Well, he's gone. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't think they've given. I don't think they've appointed a new manager yet. No, that's I what think, I was asking. I don't, I, I don't that, think yeah. I've seen anything. So that seems to be vacant at the moment. But you're right, Marley. There is a wealth of talent there. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And you know, the, the biggest sort of compliment for me is, and it also winds me up at the same time, is the fact that Bundesliga clubs are now looking at English academies and saying, "Well, if you're not going to play them, we are, because we'll offer you ten million, fifteen million, and we'll take that chance." Um, but that just proves how good a job the um, the English uh, clubs are doing um, in terms of their facilities and their their scouting and things like that. They're getting sometimes they're getting young players from from abroad at, at sixteen and, and taking advantage of that and and bringing them through. Remember Cesc Fabregas, you know, came through the Arsenal academy from from fifteen years old, having been took from Barcelona at at fifteen, fourteen, whatever it was. So you know, long may it continue because it can only be good for the English national team um, in the years to come. I mean, interestingly enough, the Premier League, with 38% of English players making up the total minutes for last season, they're still behind the French League, the German League and the Spanish League in this metric. Spain, 60% of the total minutes for last season were made up by Spanish players. But I certainly think that there is an argument, Leon, for striking the balance, really, between wanting the best players in the Premier League, because... That's what everyone tunes in on their TVs to watch and buy season tickets to see the best players in their positions in the world, in the Premier League, but also having a good showcase of homegrown talent because there's nothing more heartwarming for a supporter than seeing a young lad who's from just around the corner from where you grew up, pulling on the shirt of the club he supports and doing great things. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it's huge. Um, any young player that can have that association with the club that they're playing for, having grown up in the area, it just propels it on to another level, in my opinion. I mean, you look at the Manchester boys, I mean, I you know, like you look back at that kind of class of the Nicky Butts, the two Nevilles, I know Scholes is from Oldham, but um, they were all from that area. You look at the Liverpool guys now, I mean, I look at um, Curtis Jones, uh, he's a real... He's a real talent in my book. I think he's going to have a huge career also, but he's a scouser. Trent is a scouser. Very important to have them there. You look at Arsenal with a couple of London boys, Chelsea, Mason Mount has been there ever since. You know, I mean, he was he was able to kick a football. It just makes a huge difference. It really does. You look at Phil Foden at Manchester City. It, it, it just gives the fans something as well that they can appreciate, that they can relate to. And I think it's vitally important when you've got foreign players coming into a club to have the homegrown talent there. They can actually tell these guys what it really means to pull on this jersey. And I don't think you can underestimate that. I think it's a huge part of any club 
to try and breed success from within your city to get a couple of youngsters that hopefully are going to make it into the first team. It's not easy because of the influx of foreign talent. And we do want that because it makes yeah. the Premier League a more attractive league to watch week in, week out. But there's no doubt in my mind when you've got a young kid who's come through the ranks, who's made it through to the first team, who's from that local area, it just means so much more. I'd agree with that. And, you know, the, the best example you can probably use will be one that Marley knows very well. Alan Shearer, obviously started his career in the northeast and then when think went down to southampton ended up playing for blackburn winning a premier league title and decided to return home so to speak to newcastle united the club he supported when he was a young boy and, and throughout his life and became an icon uh, and still is an icon in the northeast record premier league goal scorer i mean like leon says marley you need those sorts of players in your team because they're almost the lifeblood of the club aren't they that they keep the fans connected to the team and i think that's such an important thing yeah there's there's nothing better than a local lad who comes through and plays for your club um even if he's not necessarily the best player at your club um obviously newcastle going back years we're, we're lucky to have uh shearer even though we released well not maybe not released him but you know passed him up um when he came through walls End boys club and we we got rid of him to um, said you know got rid of him for one reason or another. I'm not quite sure what it was, but he ended up at Southampton. And luckily, um, it could have went either way. That he could have resented the club for letting him go. Um, other other players would, but he decided to come back. Um, turned down Man United um, at the time, who were the the strongest team in the country. Um, and then turned down two more times as he carried on just banging in the goals for us. So that was that that made that love even stronger because you can you can love any player of course but there's always a a connect like a, a connection a, a deeper connection when you've got a, a local lad um in your in your team we've got a few uh, at the minute Newcastle with Paul Dummett who's been around a long time um and then obviously we've got the Longstaff brothers who've who've came through in the last couple of years as well which um is is just nice to have because you know that they understand you you know that when you lose their they're hurting as well because they've grew up watching Alan Shearer and um, you know Papi Cisse and Johan Gabay and Lauren Robert and all the all these <laughs> players like that's how young they are. Matty Longstaff would have looked at Johan Gabay as a twelve-year-old and gone, "I'd love to be like him." Like, that's how that's how young he is. Like Gabay only played for us. What happened to Gazza and Shearer? Now we're talking about Cisse and Gabay. <laughs> well, they're not old enough to remember him, really. I know. It's true. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, if you, I mean, yeah, if you go back to when when I was a kid, yeah, it was uh, it was. It was those guys, possibly not Gaza. Mm. I think Gaza was at Spurs when I was remembering football or, or Rangers. So, yeah, it's um, it's just deeper. It's nice to have, um, and you 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 know that they feel what you feel when when you win, when you lose, and things like that. So it's brilliant. I think that's the key point, Marley. They know what they know exactly how you're feeling, and I think that's the real bond between a fan and a homegrown player. I think that sums it up perfectly. That's what I was going to say, Leon, as well. They're almost living out your dream. You know, yes. every lad's dream standing on the terrace is to score a goal in the Stratford end or the Gallagher end or the Cop end or the Fratton end or whatever it might be. And so to see a lad who is effectively living out your dreams, um, you can only help but root for them, can't you? So I, I definitely agree with everything there. I mean, talking of Newcastle, we're going to be talking about Premier League early favourites 
next and it's safe to say they're not going to be in the conversation (laughs) sorry Marley obviously Chelsea Manchester City Liverpool Manchester United they're the four big names people are talking about we'll get the lowdown in terms of odds as well as taking a little deep dive into who we think might be tasting Premier League glory next on Football Social Daily Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall. I'm with Marley and with Leon. And it's time to talk who our early favourites are for next season's Premier League title. And I know what you're thinking. Settle down, settle down. The transfer window is still very much open. We've barely finished the Euros and you're already talking about who could lift the trophy at the end of next season. But... What do we know so far going forward into the new campaign regarding the teams we think could potentially be champions next season? Let's start with the defending champions who are Manchester City. Comfortable winners last season, Leon. Do you think they can do it again or is that a silly question? Because when you've got someone like Pep Guardiola at the helm, you've always got a chance of success. Oh yeah, look, I mean, their squad, okay, they're losing Aguero. Um, I do... I do believe that they they will strengthen the squad. Um, as we've said on this show before, I think Ferran Torres is going to really step up to the plate. I think being Spanish is a big help for him with Guardiola. I think he might have jumped ahead of Jesus in the kind of pecking order as the man maybe to kind of step in as that number nine. But when you look at Man City's squad, it's, it's, it's still probably on paper the best in the Premier League. They've got the luxury of resting players at certain times. Um, they've won three out of the last four Premier Leagues, so they know exactly what it takes. Um, I remember when they beat Liverpool by a point, they kept winning after Liverpool. You know, So Liverpool would win, City would win, and, and, and they just never let up. They just kept going right till the end. It was a fantastic Premier League season by both teams, but City are just relentless. Guardiola, he's done a great job there, but not a magnificent one because of the failure to win a Champions League. But in terms of domestic competition, there's a reason why they're odds-on favourites. Um, we They're being linked with Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. If they were to get those two players, you'd really have to worry about the rest of the Premier League. But there are some decent challengers. Chelsea won a Champions League. It's going to be Thomas Tuchel's first full season in charge first bid has been turned down um by Dortmund they want Haaland if Chelsea got Haaland you could start to say oh my god he would be a perfect fit for that team in terms of how Tuchel wants to play Liverpool they've only signed a central defender at the moment in Canate I think they need a bit more I think they need a couple I mean, for me, I'd be looking at a couple of attack-minded players to try and strengthen that squad. And then Manchester United, I don't think the winner is going to come outside those four. But Man United, if they get Varane off Real Madrid, he'd be a brilliant signing alongside Harry Maguire because Harry Maguire's stock, for me, is at an all-time high. I think he has had a tremendous Euros. He's really shown the world of football that he is a top-class centre-half. For me, he never looked out of place really in any of the big games. He had a brilliant final. He wasn't found wanting. Um, So I think out of those four teams, I think the winner has to come. There's no one else, in my opinion, in the Premier League. And I think they're going to be the top four again. I think they might actually pull a little bit away. I know Leicester have signed well, but I think these four will be very difficult to beat. 
I agree, and I also agree on Harry Maguire, and even more remarkable his performances considering he missed the last nine weeks of the season with his ankle in a protective boot, came straight into the England side in the Euros and didn't put a foot wrong, I think, looked absolutely accomplished, as you say. We'll look in a little bit more detail at Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea in a second, but... I mean, we talk about strengthening the transfer window being open. Back to Manchester City, Grealish and Kane, they are on City's shortlist, Marley. How will that boost their chances? Because, I mean, we know winning back-to-back Premier Leagues is an extremely difficult thing to do. They missed out in the Champions League. No doubt that will be a priority for them again. But let's just say they do bring in Grealish and Kane. That's quite a frightening prospect, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite good, isn't it? You know, <laughs> if they get them too, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um yeah, that's that's a scary thought. Uh, it really is because the one sort of thing you can say, the one case you can make for Chelsea, Liverpool, or or even Manchester United at the minute is, can City score enough goals without Aguero all season? Can they can they make that false nine work all all year? Um, can they have that impact that they did last year? Because as much as they did amazingly well last season, I think. Once you start playing the same tactics two years in a row, teams get used to you a little bit, and we'll see. We'll see whether teams can get a grip to, to with Man City. I think, you know, if they were to go through the season with the current squad they've got, you've got to have Gundogan having a, another amazing season, scoring, you know, fifteen, sixteen goals in all competitions or something like that. So they do need a striker. They need somebody to uh, to take that burden of, of Aguero, even if it might not be somebody who scores as many goals as Aguero. You do need someone. And if it's anyone, why not be the best, the best goal scorer in, in England? So, you know, if if they get Kane, I mean, there are question marks as well over over whether Kane can fit into that style of of play, um, and is he a bit uh, a bit sort of greedy for the for the Man City way of playing? But I think he's such a good player that you'd uh, you'd find you'd you'd eventually find that he slotted in and started just waiting for the chances to come to him, and ended up with thirty five, thirty six goals a season because. The, the chances City create um, uh, are just, you know, to, to die for, basically. So then if you add into that Jack Grealish as well, I mean, you might as well not even bother turning up to the Etihad every week. Just take the 3-0 defeat and move on to next week. <laughs> I think Burnley would happily take the 3-0 defeat because they tend to get beat 5 or 6 every time they go to the Etihad. <laughs> so I think 3-0 will be an improvement for them. That's Manchester City. You mentioned it a moment ago, Leon. Chelsea. Obviously, plenty of people impressed with Thomas Tuchel and their Champions League final display and indeed their Champions League campaign. This would be a first full season for Thomas Tuchel. That's if he lasts a season. We know what Chelsea are like with their higher and fire culture when it comes to managers. They're also not afraid to spend and might even bring in a couple more big names like they did last summer. Are they the outside shout, would you say, along with with Manchester United? And I'm interested to know in terms of the odds when it comes to Chelsea... How much will they fluctuate, do you think, if they bring in a big-name striker, a goal machine like Erling Haaland? Because surely that will improve their chances as well. Yeah, absolutely, Niall. Look, I mean, if you bring in Haaland, I think that's where Chelsea have just... And look, you say fallen short, but they've won a Champions League. But I think people have watched Thomas Tuchel coming in and the job he's done so far has been really solid. But I do feel if they get a proper out-and-out striker who can score goals they're going to become a legitimate title challenger, like as in a serious title challenger. They're 5-1 to one at the moment. Um, they're joint second favourites with Liverpool. It looks as if Chelsea are going to have money to spend again. 
and Abramovich is putting his hand in his pocket and why wouldn't he? You've got a man who's just brought you a Champions League crown and he's only been at the club a wet day. So if he wants Haaland and that's his number one priority, well then it's pretty simple. I think Abramovich is going to go out there and get him. And they're going to probably bid Dortmund a figure that Dortmund cannot turn down. I know Dortmund don't want to lose Sancho and Haaland in the same summer, but every player has got their price. And if Chelsea go to a number which is just ridiculous, I think Dortmund are going to sell. They're a selling club. That's what they do. They'll identify another young player. They probably have it. They probably have another young player already identified as they had with Sancho's replacement, Malin. He's already going to Dortmund. So they've already got probably another striker who's young, who's up and coming, if, Dor or if, if Chelsea give them the right amount of money to replace Haaland. But if they get him, I think Chelsea are second favourites. I think they go ahead of Liverpool because that squad of players that Chelsea have got as well, they're really strong in most areas except that number nine position. Now, you might say if something happened Haaland, well, they'll have to fall back. Well, they're falling back on the likes of Timo Werner. They've tried Kai Havertz in the false nine. And I think Giroud is obviously going to go. I think Abraham is going to go. So, but if you've got Havertz, you've got Werner and you've got Haaland, it's not bad. It's not bad for your middle position. Werner can play on a wing. We know Havertz can play behind in a 10. So they've got a lot of options. I just think with Chelsea, if they get him, they're going to be the ones that could really challenge Manchester City. And as we know, Erling Haaland's got a release clause, which is activated next summer, which I think is significantly less than what Chelsea are likely to offer them for him. I think it's around 70 million quid. So, you know, Chelsea have a chance That's, to get in there it's early. It's now or never, isn't it? Yeah, Now absolutely. or never for Chelsea. Yeah. Because City are going to be, you know, paying that in, in pound notes next year. They're rocking up to Dortmund and being like, yep, take it. Because I think next summer is huge because you've got Mbappe on a free, um, possibly going to Real Madrid. And then you've got, you know, Haaland with this clause. It's it's uh, it's a case of who wants to, to jump first. This uh, this summer, opposite with Spurs, who probably turn up and Daniel Levy will pay it in two pence pieces, just because that's the sort of guy <laughs> that he is. We're talking about title challenges and Spurs, Arsenal, Leicester. I think Leon's right; aren't really in the conversation, and that would disappoint Tottenham Hotspur and their fans because I think they've kind of considered themselves at least in the picture over the last few seasons, and it just doesn't feel like they're strong enough this time around. Manchester United finished second last season. Let's talk about them next. As we've already discussed, Jadon Sancho in, perhaps Rafa Varane in. Do you think they've got enough Mali to be title challengers? Is it perhaps a season too soon? Let's not forget also Marcus Rashford is likely to miss the first couple of months of the season with a shoulder injury. So how do you see Manchester United faring next campaign? Uh, I, th I, th I don't know. I think they're a tough one because I feel like the teams around them are getting obviously stronger, like Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, I think Man United have obviously got stronger as well with with Sancho coming in, and if they sign Varane, that's huge. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's no reason why they can't close that gap massively, and I think we could have a really, really uh, tight title race with the four of them. To be honest, I don't think City are going to walk away with it if they don't get Kane or, or Grealish or at least one of them. I think that uh, that gap could could uh, could narrow a little bit to the chasing pack. So. Um, I'm not sure about Man United. I've never, you know, in the past few years, because they've not really been anywhere near it, it's hard to say, you know, if if they are going to be able to do something big, you know what I mean? So, 
it's um the pieces are coming together though that's that's the the thing i would say about man, man united they haven't got as many obvious weaknesses as they did two or three years ago when they needed a left back and then all of a sudden luke shaw's gone on to be you know to a new level of player um they needed a, a striker they've got cavani filling that gap now they needed a winger and now they've just bought sancho so things are starting to come together for man united so um It'll be interesting to see how they sort of knit together and whether they hit the ground running because I feel like these first couple of months are going to be massive for the title race because if City start like they did last season, then they I don't think they'd have a chance of, of catching the chasing pack because I think the chasing pack as a, as a whole is much, much stronger. In terms of that Varane signing, Leon, we look at the signings that United have made at centre-half in recent seasons. Harry Maguire was obviously accomplished at Leicester City but never really had won anything in terms of top honours when he went to Manchester United. You could level the same at Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof. But if they bring in Raphael Varane, they bring in someone who's won multiple La Ligas, multiple Champions Leagues, is the right side of 30, has plenty of experience in elite competition and is a fully-fledged international. I'm right in thinking, I think he was part of the World Cup winning squad in 2018. I mean, this is... A great compliment to Harry Maguire, who, as we've discussed, looks like he's at the top of his game. So not only do they sign someone with immense quality, but also someone with immense experience if he does come in. Yeah, and he's a winner. And I think that's probably that's probably like the difference um, between getting someone like him in. It just breeds that kind of mentality. that Because Manchester United, make no mistake about this, they need to win something. This is Solskjaer's last year, in my opinion. If he doesn't win something, he's out. Because I think he's been given enough time now. He's been given enough funds now to try and go and win something. And if he gets Varane in, as well as Sancho, there's not many more excuses he can use. Yes, they closed the gap. They finished second. But they were a bloody distant second in the Premier League. They had absolutely zero chance of winning it. Like, to be honest, they couldn't even beat Villarreal in a Europa League final. So, Solskjaer needs to win something next season. But when you've got someone like Varane coming in, just having him around the training ground, listening to him, listening to him in terms of what it takes to win something, in those games where it's nip and tuck, where United might have ordinarily drawn, he might just be able to get that win. He might just be able to say something at halftime or or give a bit of experience at halftime or get a block in or score a goal, or or do whatever he has to do. He's a born winner. And you cannot you cannot put enough emphasis on winners at your football club. It just breeds success. When people have won trophies, they know what it's about. And when the going gets tough, they seem to stand up. And that's what Man United need. To me, there's not a whole lot of leaders at Manchester United. I think Harry Maguire is one. I think Varane would be one. I, then I, I still struggle. I know people have spoke very highly about Bruno Fernandes. For me, he went totally off the boil. He had a shocking Euros. He had a shocking finish to the season. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he played maybe too many games. I still think Fernandes might be good next season. But I think it's a big year for Paul Pogba as well. What's going to happen with Paul Pogba? He's only got, is it one year left on his contract? So what's going to happen there? Is he going to sign a new deal? Or is he going to just play and then Man United lose him for free? I don't really know what's going to happen with him. We saw him in fits 
at the Euros where he was absolutely exceptional. But then we saw his lack of defensive quality cost France against Switzerland. We saw the brilliant goal he got in that game. But then we saw the other side of Paul Pogba. So it's a big season for Manchester United as a club. And as, as a manager, I think Solskjaer, this is his last chance. Because United fans have given him time. Because he was such a brilliant player for them. But I think their patience will also start to wear thin if they're not challenging for the Premier League. They've got to stick with the pace from the get-go. If they start falling behind when it's coming up to Christmas time, don't be surprised if the Glazers start getting a little bit tetchy and start looking for a new manager. Interestingly enough, I think the arrival of Varane, if that is to be the case, might have an impact on Pogba with them both being French. Maybe that's uh, a little bit too obvious for me to say, but certainly that could have an impact possibly. We know Chelsea are 5-1 to one with Boyle Sports. Leon, how are Manchester United looking ahead of next season? Yeah, look, they're not too much further behind. I mean, they're 6-1. to one. And so it's City are 4-6. to six. Liverpool and Chelsea both 5-1. to 6-1 to one United. And then you're talking about 40-1 to one bar those. So it really is only going to be the top four. Um, Leicester have signed well as a... I think they're going to be the best of the rest. Unless Tottenham Hotspur can go out there and kind of spend a bit of money. We all think Harry Kane's going to leave. But maybe they can pull a rabbit out of the bag and keep him. I don't know. But Leicester, for me, Rodgers got a good bit of business done quite early. Um, and I think their obvious, their obvious goal is to try and get into that top four. They probably should have done it in the last two seasons. But they fell away when it really mattered most. Will they keep a hold of, of Yuri Tielemans? That's a big question mark. Liverpool have been talked about looking at him. But 65 million quid... Oh, I don't know whether Liverpool are in that market to spend that type of money. I mean, they're always talking about Liverpool not being a kind of a poor club. But when it comes to these big, big signings now, lately, they haven't seemed to splash the cash as they did maybe two or three seasons ago when they brought in the likes of Van Dijk, Alisson, Fabinho, players like that. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Let's talk about Liverpool then. They were some way off defending their title last season but that was for many reasons however they did make the top four when it looked impossible at one stage that they would do so no blockbuster signings expected as Leon's touched upon but the fact that Van Dijk and Gomez are back in training Mali that's obviously a, a positive sign do you think they'll be contenders because there's also a few queries as to whether they can hold on to their front three Mo Salah's been linked with a move away yet again we'll talk about that later on in the show but how do you see Liverpool's chances next year I'm I'm tempted to say that they'll be the fourth best team in the league. Uh, I think I feel like Chelsea, um, Man United, and Man City are comfortably ahead of of Liverpool now. I think um, the only the only thing that that could could influence that is is how big Van Dijk is coming back, and I do think he's huge. But but also they they looked so toothless at times last season that it it worries me a little bit when when you come in to to think of them. I think the I think Liverpool could do with a proper centre forward, um, somebody who would score you twenty goals a season. And, and I know it's easy to say that everybody needs a team like that, but Liverpool have been happy to play with the the sort of false nine, sort of creative striker that like uh, Firmino, rather than an out and out sort of goal scorer who's just going to wait in the box for the chances the wingers create. But uh, yeah, I'm, I I find Liverpool a tough one to to deal with because. You know they've lost Wijnaldum as well, and I think that's that's a bigger miss than a lot of people think. 
Um, I think Curtis Jones is still a good player, and Naby Keita's got a, a massive point to prove because he's been useless since he started. He spent more time on the on the uh, treatment table. So, yeah, it's um, it's one of them where things have to people have to stay fit. They've got you know the two best defenders back now, Gomez and, and Van Dijk. They've got brought in Konate for for quite a big sum as well. So the defense is probably you'd, you'd assume there. Um, but I, I just want to see something different from Liverpool, maybe a, a change in system or a change in approach or something like that. Um, could they play with a back, a back three, um, and get Canate back uh, in there alongside Van Dijk and Gomez and play, play your uh, your, your full backs as wing backs and, and give them even more license to create something. But I don't know. It's I think something's got to change for for Liverpool because I think people are getting used to how they're playing. Um, and and find them just that little bit easier to cope with, and I think there's it's time to sort of evolve now into into something else. Well, City are the favourites. Chelsea and Liverpool five to one. United at sixes with Boyle Sports. Who do you think will be the Premier League champions come eleven months time next May? Who will be lifting the trophy on that final day of the season? Let us know on our Twitter account at the Sports Social. Get in touch with us as well on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us there. Don't forget, all odds were correct at the time of recording the podcast and they are liable to change. But you can find the latest information, including T's and C's, on the Boyle Sports betting app and boylesports.com. Don't forget, it's 18 plus. Bet responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. We're going to talk some transfers next here on Football Social Daily. Some interesting stuff revolving around Everton and Arsenal. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be on whichever podcast platform you use, you won't miss another episode of the show again. Three shows a week at the moment until the Premier League season starts. And when the campaign does begin, you'll not miss a single episode if you have hit that subscribe button. We are the only podcast that brings you a brand new show every single day of the Premier League season, packed with news and opinion, match previews, match reviews as well. We've got the lot, so make sure you do that. And we'll see you at the start of the season. If not on the next episode. Let's talk transfer gossip now and we'll begin in Spain where reports from the Spanish media suggest that Carlo Ancelotti, the new Real Madrid manager, wants Mohamed Salah at the Bernabeu if he can't get Mbappe. This feels like one of those domino stories where one player needs to move out before another moves in. However, Leon, Salah has been linked with Real Madrid before. He's 29 years old now. You've seen him completely explode at Anfield. Your club, Liverpool, have enjoyed probably the best years of Salah's career. In terms of a move away from Liverpool, can you foresee this happening? Do you think it's likely? Because as I say, it's probably now or never if he is going to leave Liverpool and get one of those big, big moves elsewhere. Yeah, look, I mean, there's always talk when you've got a player like Mo Salah. Um, Any club in world football should be looking at someone like him because his return from... For, like for Liverpool over four years has just been absolutely ridiculous and he's a player for me that I don't think gets enough credit um, in terms of when you look at what he's done he's like he's had 145 appearances for Liverpool and he scored 95 goals it's absolutely ridiculous what he's done um, will he leave? I don't know if I mean if Liverpool there was some type of talks around because Liverpool are manufactured by Nike. They obviously get a lot of money through short sales. They're bringing in LeBron James and um, has bought into FSG. Um, Kylian Mbappe is kind of this poster boy for Nike in terms of the world of football. 
if you were to sell someone like Mo Salah, it probably would give you the funds necessary to try and go out and get someone like Mbappe. We all know Mbappe has spoke really highly about Jurgen Klopp. You're getting someone who I think is, what, 22 or 23 Mbappe is. I'm not quite sure exactly um, how old he is. But you're letting go someone who's 29. So in terms of the kind of model that FSG work on and what they try and do is they try and buy young who've actually got then a resale value should they get better or should someone else want them. So that's the only way I think that could work. I don't think Liverpool are going to sell Salah without having a ready-made replacement. And I mean, the only player in world football for me that could replace Mo Salah is Kylian Mbappe because Salah single-handedly got Liverpool in to the top four last season on his own. But Liverpool were dreadful. The last 10 games, they won eight and they drew two against Newcastle where they hung on at Anfield and they drew away against Leeds. Salah, again, was on the score sheet. He's just, he's different class. He's just a world-class footballer. And it showed me a lot as well last year, I must admit, when they beat Manchester United and Salah scored the last goal and the emotion he showed because it looked as if then he felt Liverpool were going to be in the Champions League again. So maybe this is all just paper talk and he's quite happy. I do know that he wants more money. I think he deserves more money because of what I've just said, 95 goals in 145 games. He's your best player. He's one that wins your matches. I don't think he'll leave Liverpool unless they've got someone like Mbappe lined up. And could Liverpool afford Mbappe? There's a lot of talk from Liverpool journalists that with the night deal, they could supplement his income because in terms of the short sales. So there's a lot of things moving around. He still hasn't signed that new deal at PSG. So a lot could happen in the next four or five weeks. Absolutely. This one comes from the Spanish media and it does feel like Mbappe is the key, really. Um, Salah, if he can't get Mbappe, is the line from the Spanish press regarding Ancelotti at Real Madrid. We'll keep a close eye on that one. But as you say, his record for Liverpool, Mohamed Salah, is absolutely outrageous. Moving on to a story from The Telegraph now, which suggests that Arsenal are keen on taking Tammy Abraham from Chelsea. Obviously, he lacked a bit of game time last season at Stamford Bridge. He wasn't included in the Champions League final squad either. Timo Werner obviously came in during the summer and he's been the main striker, particularly under Thomas Tuchel. And maybe with Erling Haaland coming in, you know, that's going to reduce his game time even more. I think they'll definitely buy another striker, Mali, to replace Olivier Giroud, who I think by all accounts may have already headed off to AC Milan. But now there's a window of opportunity there for Abraham with Giroud leaving. Do you think Abraham will stay at the bridge or do you think a switch to Arsenal is a possibility? I think he needs to go somewhere. Um, you know, if, if he steps into the Giroud role, it's the same as his role. I mean, as in, he never gets on the pitch, really. Giroud, Giroud barely played in that last part of the season. Um, and then I think they, they, they extend his contract so they didn't lose him on a free and then they're selling him to AC Milan for like five million quid or something, maybe even less. So, yeah, for, for Abraham, he needs to go somewhere. He needs to go and play. He's too good. Um, and at such an a too important a stage of his career to be not playing. Um, and if you're not going to play at Chelsea, then you will play somewhere else. I think looking at it from an outsider um, perspective, I would say the best move for him is part of the Erling Haaland deal to 
two go to uh, to Borussia Dortmund. Um, but if they're signing Daniel Marlon, maybe there's not a place for in there. Maybe they've they've already sorted their replacement and happy with what they've got. Um, so that would leave him looking for an English team. I think um, Arsenal are they a bit are they a bit too much of a rival? I I don't know. Um, certainly not with the way Arsenal played last season, but. Um, he does need to go somewhere. I don't know where it'll be, but it has to be ideally in the Premier League um, and ideally somewhere where he's going to start every week because I think he's good enough to score you 20, 25 goals a season uh, if he gets the service he needs. I'd maybe say Leicester, to be fair, um, out of everyone, but uh, there's that thing of how long can Vardy carry on and, and can he and Acho be as good as he was last season because... There's probably there might not be a first team opportunity there for him, but I think if he went and they've just signed Pats and Dacker as well. To be fair, haven't they? Let's yeah, is is he more of a winger though? Uh, like plays no, from I the think wing. he's. I think he. Yeah, he can play out wide, but I think he's a legitimate goal scorer, a legitimate striker, and I think that we'll probably see him through the middle. So, yeah, I mean that probably rules that out then. Yeah, m- most likely, but certainly I think that it's a really interesting summer ahead for Tammy Abraham because. You know, he was on the verges of the England squad, or he was getting into the England squad when Frank Lampard was the Chelsea manager. And since Tuchel's come in, he's just not really fancied him. And like you say, sort of six to eight months with no football. I wonder why that is. Why why is that? Uh, He's six foot four. He's he's athletic. He's quick. He's strong. He can finish. He can head. He can pass. I'll tell you why. It's because he didn't cost 90 million like Timo Werner did. And I think that (laughs) Chelsea feel that because they paid the money for Werner, they just have to use him. Whereas Abraham costs him nothing because he comes through the academy. I genuinely They've think got it's to teach him the bloody that. offside rule. That's what they got to do. <laughs> I know it's that expensive <laughs> to not know the offside rule. Anyway, that's one story from the Telegraph. From one in that paper to another, it's Rafa Benitez wanting a rebuild. Allegedly, this is again from the Telegraph. Apparently, up to six players are for sale this summer, including James Rodriguez, Leon, to allow Rafa Benitez to restructure the squad at Goodison Park. Obviously. A few shockwaves were rippling around when Benitez took the job at Goodison Park, only the second ever manager to manage both Liverpool and Everton, which I think is remarkable in itself. But how many times do Everton want to do this? How many times do they want to have a summer rebuild? Because I feel like we talk about this every summer on Football Social Daily. And when you've got (laughs) someone as good as James Rodriguez in your squad, surely you should be building around someone as good as him rather than trying to ship him out. Obviously, this is just a report from the paper. and We don't know how true this is. But if that is to be the case, it is interesting. Yeah, but he's not a Benitez type player. It's, 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 I mean, he... He just wouldn't fit into Rafa's style. Um, Marley has seen him at Newcastle. I've witnessed him at Liverpool. Um, I remember the season going back to, oh, what was it, 2000 and was it 7 slash 8 where we finished second to Man U? And I think we had six or seven home draws because he stuck with playing one striker up front and we just couldn't break teams down. And Benitez... He is, I mean, look, he is a winner. He's won a lot of trophies throughout his career. But James Rodriguez wouldn't be the type of player that Rafa Benitez would build a side around. Rafa Benitez wants workers. He wants players who are going to come back and go forward. And he wants a type of player that will do exactly what he says. He doesn't give players that kind of luxury of being a kind of floating in between the lines. So pretty much having a free role, it's not what he wants. But the reason Benitez is at Everton is because I'm sure 
in his talks with the majority shareholder, he's told him he wants money. He's looked at the squad. He's told him the players he doesn't want. Everton have too many number 10s anyway. I mean, the transfer policy of Everton over the last few years has baffled me. It doesn't really make sense. They've given big money for bang average players. I look at Sigurdsson. I look at Awobi. I look at players like this that they've paid over 45 million quid for. It just, I mean, I don't know who was making them calls. But Benitez will go in. He will have identified some players that he wants. He'll identify the players that he didn't want already, I'm sure, in those meetings with is a Fashiri. And he will have been promised funds because Benitez will have not have gone to Everton unless he was told you're getting that amount of money to spend if you can sell a few players on top of that as well. Benitez needs money and that's why he goes to clubs. But I'll tell you what, if you give him the money and you give him a little bit of time, he's a proper manager and he could be very good for Everton. Up to six players though, seems like quite a lot, doesn't it? I mean, that's more than half a start in 11 and, you know, with the money they've got ahead for a new stadium and all of the rest of it, I think it's really interesting at Everton. I always feel that Everton, every time they look like they're starting to get a bit of stability at the club something happens a manager leaves someone gets sacked or you know players leave and, and and they sell or buy bad players or something happens I never feel that Everton are truly solid and stable uh, in terms of their general outlook on the Premier League in the last probably since David Moyes left really where you knew what you were going to get with Everton um, it does feel like there's, there's something there just waiting to be taken on to the next level. Whether Benitez can do that, we'll wait and see because certainly Ancelotti, many people felt that that was a real watershed moment for Everton in terms of appointing him. But we will absolutely wait and see. Rafa wants a rebuild. That's according to the Telegraph. And that wraps up our transfer gossip and today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Leon. Thank you, Marley. Oh, Leon, just by any chance, you don't have the odds on Newcastle winning the Premier League next season, do you? Um, just just, just give me a second there. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it'll it be, out. It'll be I'll longer than Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> At the minute, they're 500 to 1. But you know what? Realistically, I'd stick an extra two zeros behind there. If Marley wants to have a pound on a 50,000 to 1 with me, he can have it. <laughs> you're a very generous man, Leon, but I also don't think you're in any danger of losing that much money for Royal Sports. <laughs> That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget, you can find all the latest odds for an outright, outright Premier League winner for next season on boilsports.com and the Boyle Sports betting app. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, bet responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. But that is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. We'll catch you again on Monday where we'll have more Premier League news and views for you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.